Hello all you survivors. The date today is April 18th. The time is 2.09 a.m. The year is 2020. Coming to you from northeastern Minnesota, this is the first official episode of Alvers Nick. A podcast that will cover a wide, wide range of topics spanning... Uh, the outdoors, which I love and am passionate about, mental illness, um, exclusively untreated mental illness, because <laughs> that's what I'm working with, allegedly, and drug addiction, romance, cooking, and current events. I mean, there's really no limit to what uh, I'd like to talk to you listeners about. And Al will be making appearances, I'm sure. Um, Al is, I, I don't want to say my alter ego, but Al is just, you know, just the side that uh, I've labeled a certain pattern of behavior with a name. I don't know if it's a different personality altogether or if it's just kind of me being funny and like, oh, I'm I'm Al right now. But uh, to me, I have a very, a very um, clear idea of when I'm thinking and functioning in a positive and efficient and quality way. And uh, that's not how I describe Al. So whenever you hear Al referenced, that will be kind of a um, major key alert for maybe that I'm not proud of it or that it is something that I had to keep back or uh, I guess we'll just let it figure itself out. But Albert Nick is, is just one, one person. So everyone knows that. <laughs> I hope you listeners figure that out. Uh, I'm not diagnosed as multiple personality, um, diagnosed as, I think, like bipolar or a, a bunch of goofy shit, but I never, to my knowledge, it hasn't been personality, personality disorder or split personalities or, or whatever, but then again, I stay the hell out of those doctor's offices nowadays, and and uh, I don't remember the things that they've told me in the past because I feel like I was letting it define me a little bit, so all I know is... I'm using the term mentally ill to, to say that there are doctors out there who have I have been analyzed by and who have made um, diagnoses or claims or I guess that I, I have a couple of these different forms of mental illness. It's all so confusing to me. I don't understand how they can make those calls, but... Uh, it's been said. <laughs> it has been said. And I'm not whining. I'm just saying. I realize that my thought processes are very different. And that's why I'm humoring humoring the idea. But I still don't like the term mental illness. Anyways, hopefully we'll talk about lots of positive things. And hopefully it's only good news from here on out. Um, as of right now, the current state of affairs... In northeastern Minnesota is shelter in place. A lot of businesses shut down. 
a lot of quiet streets and uh you know a, a really tough time for a community such as the one I live in that's coming off of four months of of fucking shelter in your house because it's thirty degrees below zero um I'm not saying we got it worse than anybody else. I'm just saying uh, if you go outside in the winter here, you'll freeze to death <laughs> if you're not, you know, prepared. So it's it's been a spring not like one I've experienced before. And it hasn't done me any favors or the world any favors. not saying it should, but, I mean, the one thing I, I could say is, hey, Take a community like this one or the ones around us with record-setting DUIs. And, uh, you know, alcoholism is a huge, is a huge uh, <laughs> thing here. And I know people are still drinking, but, you know, I kind of like the bars aren't open. <laughs> and I'm not, a, I'm not a teetotaler. I drink. I'm just saying I kind of like that. It makes all the... People who, who, um, kind of like auto flock to the bars on the weekend makes them think, and I like seeing people think, I guess. But, anyways, yeah. Hopefully, this podcast will be a nice blend of outdoor content because that's probably the only thing I'm really. If I'm qualified to speak on anything, it's probably that, drugs, and highway construction. And nobody likes talking about highway construction. So, I'll voice my unqualified opinion about all sorts of things for you folks. And um, please don't don't spare me your opinions or your, you know, if you took the time out of your day to, to listen to this and then you again take the time out of your day or night or whatever... To give me feedback on that, awesome. I mean, I didn't write anything down. I'm just, you know, um, doing this is helping me stop wondering if the last bag of drugs I bought were real or not. And that was kind of giving me anxiety. I'm not sure if it's because I know that uh, I'm not going to be sober tomorrow or I'm worried that I might unexpectedly be sober tomorrow. Hopefully this podcast does lots for all of us. First episode. First day of brook trout fishing tomorrow. (laughs) Yep, Minnesota brook trout season opens. Excuse me, the proper terminology is stream trout. And for all those non-fisher people out there, Uh, There's a lot of nuances in the legality of when you can fish for what and how you can and so forth and et cetera, et cetera. There's lots of rules around fishing. And the region I live in, upper Great Lakes region, on the shores of the greatest, or excuse me, largest freshwater lake in the world, Lake Superior, um, there's a lot of acreage that yesterday was illegal to fish or out of season to fish, tomorrow will be in season. Not all of it, by any means. I mean, the land of 10,000 lakes has so much water, but there are some more outdoor opportunities opening up for anglers tomorrow morning, or excuse me, this morning. 
fish that, or excuse me, streams that we've been walking by, looking at, um, really just, really just uh, being tempted by since uh, it closed down are finally going to be opened up again. It's one of my favorite types of fishing there is in the state. I mean, it's, it's hard to explain because it's not, it's not like you're chasing these monster fish and it's not like, you know, you can't even really say that, uh, it's always in an aesthetically pleasing area because you never, you never know where the stream's going to go, but there's something about walking a stream for brook trout because that's the only kind of stream trout you might run into a brown or a rainbow or, or brook trout are what, what I'm fishing for. And they're the only native one to the to the state. Not the fish I'm fishing for. I don't believe they're of native fish descent, but in theory, like they symbolize they are they they symbolize like what is supposed to be there or what would be there, I believe. A portion of what would be there. So how brook trout fishing works is you pick a body of water, flowing body of water, known as a river, that is known to hold trout, and you walk or stumble or crawl or or bushwhack your way along its path. I like to walk downstream. Um if if it's convenient i'm not afraid to walk upstream <laughs> it's all about knowing knowing the body of water is what makes it so interesting to me i mean you have to go to these uh these relatively small bodies of water and inside of those small bodies of water there is micro habitats and subtleties and challenges and gems and so much information and so much going on that that uh you know you have to or that you that, that it pays to factor in it's just it's really an interesting it's really an interesting way to fish and a lot of guys go after it uh with their fly rods um sometimes you know, I'm not knocking fly guys because that's, it's all about, you know, everybody gets something different from the woods. But the thing is, is a lot of this is Minnesota's brushy country, especially northeastern Minnesota. And it's just, to me, it, what I, the, the pleasant, the, the pleasures that I get out of fishing, a lot of time is directly correlated to, to like my line in the water and to, I just like fishing the whole time. And there's a lot, um, on a lot of the streams I like to fish, which, uh, I will, I will say that, you know, I'm, I believe I'm aware of a lot of the good trout waters in St. Louis County is, uh, it's just not as conducive to, to fly fishing. I mean, you just don't have long runs and, um, castable, I, I'm not a fly guy, but like whatever you, whatever um, requirements you have for like getting a clean fly cast in, even if it is just a simple roll cast, and then in turn with the 
the rugged nature of these small and, and confusing little bodies of water that, that change so quickly. It's just not, uh, if you want to catch, I, if you want to catch brook trout, it's not necessarily, it's, or excuse me, it's not the best way to fish them, right? And if you want to practice fly fishing, it is not the best way to fish brook trout in northeastern Minnesota. I mean, it's just, it's challenging. Um, it's irreparably challenging. So how I like to fish them, because I like to catch them, I like to eat them. Um, I like to fish for them with either live bait or lures. So you approach the bank, uh, fishy looking hole, whip your live bait or lure to like a 45 or something. You know, you, you, you want to find that sweet spot in your drift. But I basically cast upstream and drift bait downstream over what appears to be likely trout habitat. And when your gut instinct and your gathered field knowledge over, I guess I've been trout fishing my whole life, pays off, you are rewarded with a very satisfying slight tug-tug. And then the fight is on. And that's kind of anticlimactic. It's, you know, a big brook trout that one would hope to take from the rivers around here. I mean, a really big, nice one would be like 14 or 15 inches. And they get bigger than that. But I mean, I would have a hard time. I wouldn't keep a 15-inch brook trout. I would have to put it back just because it's, it's, it's an anomaly. I mean, I've caught hundreds of these things. I don't know how many I've caught, but over you know, hundreds. I mean, I've been doing it since, I don't remember not brook trout fishing. And I've never gone a year in my life without catching a brook trout, I don't think, ever. Um, they just don't, most of them, the fish you're looking for is like a 10 to 12 inch, um, cookie cutter, beautiful speck. And that's, those are keepers and they're delicious and small ones are okay to keep too. But like a good, what, what you want to fill up your fork stick with or put on your fork stick is a, is a 10 to 12 inch colorful chunky tenacious looking beast with orange they're, they're called the if you were to take a handful of sand out of a part of the creek you've never seen with your eye and flip it upside down i believe the bottom side of some of that would have trout color in there it's just hard to describe they're beautiful and they're a small fish but you can just it's not they don't seem like a weak fish. You can tell there's something about them. They have a strength to them that you can't help but appreciate. And, you know, sometimes these little trickles of water, you don't expect anything to be in there. And, and you're rewarded way beyond your expectations. And other times you can walk from beautiful-looking hole to beautiful-looking hole and everything's perfect and they just won't bite or they just are not there i'm not sure which you know i'd like to hear some different opinions on that if any of you know or <laughs> who knows anything when it comes to fishing right my two theories are this one the dnr is using the itemized documentation of fish planting as a very simple money laundering operation where they say yeah we stocked 10,000 brook trout in the 
such and such river. And that's where that money went. And in turn, they didn't or they stocked fewer or, or whatever. And I know that's a conspiracy theorist mindset. But if you've been skunked in some of the places I've been skunked, not just with brook trout, it just doesn't seem possible. If, if you go to a tiny bottle, body of water that is no access in or out in the middle of a state park that is managed by the state and you find a PDF file or whatever online that says this dang lake was filled up with pike who are some of the most survival-y fish, you know, they, they, live, they live all over the place. They don't, they don't need much. You're not talking about putting a, a brook trout, for example, or some real finicky type of fish that needs all these real specific conditions. Anyways, they, they say they put all these pike in there. You go out there and ice fish it in the wintertime when catching pike is good universally. Or, you know, universally. And you get enough guys out there where you get eight flags or eight tip-ups and nobody gets a flag all day. And the, you, I mean, with five good throws, you could get a football from the long end of the lake, the long way down the lake. I mean, it's just not, I just don't know of any other body of water that wouldn't, that had pike in it, that is that size, that it just didn't make sense. Anyways, that's where my theory comes from, that they might not stock what they say they're stocking. Uh, they damn sure don't put any more in there than they say. That's for sure. It's like gas. You know, you got exactly one gallon. Well, maybe, um, you know, hopefully you did. But it, chances are that valve probably shut off a little early rather than a little late, right? That's how I see it. My other theory is that um, some of these really bully fishing spots or what appear to be really bully fishing spots that are really, really unproductive, uh, is a really specific diet in the fish that live there. They've kind of like micro evolved to just eating what is in this weird little river because, you know, these rivers, they weren't all necessarily just brook trout rivers right away. Like the fish that live there they, that I wouldn't be fishing for, they're relatively new to the area, like as individuals, they may have been put there in a truck or put way upstream in a truck a year or two before, or like maybe a really old one would be like one that's somehow, which some do reproduce naturally or, or something like, you know, run from the lake, depends where you're fishing, but, uh, they might just not be hungry for any amount of time because they're so proficient and they're so, they're such good hunters and good feeders and they, they're so, uh, tuned in on what's right there and what's right there in front of them usually is not necessarily what you're fishing with uh as bait i mean you know a night crawler a night crawler could end up in any water anywhere right that doesn't mean that necessarily it's high odds that a fish has seen one before if it's in a really specific feeding pattern a night crawler will not turn the head of a fish if every day of its life as its granddaddy and that fish's granddaddy. Maybe I'm wrong again. This is just, this is, these are from my personal experiences. But I feel like if a fish is on a really specific feeding pattern, it's harder to get them to take a look at your bait if it's not that. Even if you are using, let's say, let's say tadpoles. Let's say there's a, like, 
There's brown trout that live in this river. You know that. You've seen the DNR stock them in there. You've seen the fish jump out of the water a few times. And by God, you've you've you, you've seen a picture at the bait shop of a guy standing there with one, you know, or, or whatever. You know the fish are in there, but you cannot catch them. Um, or you've had a lot of, I won't say, I won't say you cannot, but you have not caught any and you're doing everything right that, that produces in similar pursuits for the same species and similar conditions, a little difference like tadpoles, like say these fish are just always, there's, there's a really healthy something population like frogs. So these fish are just so used to eating tadpoles and there's so many of them that the, the, likelihood you are going to encounter this fish in such dire straits where he chooses to waste any of his thoughts or energies or motion for anything other than a tadpole when he is all his instincts are saying like just tadpoles tadpoles are food you know they might not have this diverse palate that's one of the only explanations i come up with i hate i hate not catching brookies or any trout. This, this is a that specific feeding stuff. That is one that my theory is really. I can only I can only use it to explain trout because I haven't encountered it anywhere else. Like I've never. You don't you don't go to a lake and that's where the DNR theory came up because like it's not common for you to go to a, a lake that's full of, of jack or northern pikes and. Full of northerns, and everybody out there is getting skunked because they just can't figure out what they're eating. Wrong. Not that. Not that way. Not that way with bass. Not that way with you know, um, a lot of different types of fish in this area. You might get uh, presentations that do better than others, but a lot of times, if if the fish are in there, you can get them to bite. Trout. You could fish a hole. I've done this. Statue of limitations. I've fished a hole repeatedly, day after day after day, searching for answers whether or not the water temperature had increased to the point where um, a, a rainbow trout had moved in from the lake. And, I mean, a, a four by four hole that you know to only be a couple feet deep. I mean, it doesn't go to China. You're not going to fall over your head. It's a six foot wide creek, right? It flows into the biggest lake in the world and fish from that lake or run up into the creek and, and lay their eggs, but you cannot see them. And trout when they're spawning and trout when they're spooked and uh, trout when they're just anything other than hungry as heck, you could bonk them in the snout and they do not. Anyway, oh, back to my story. Fish it, fish it, fish it. Convince there's no fish in it. Convince there's no fish in it. Dip a smelt net in there. There's a fish in there. They just aren't interested in eating, um, I feel, a higher percentage of the time. I mean, even non-fisher people know about trout because it's kind of like when you picture like a, a, a aesthetically pleasing angler, like a classy angler, like he's out there in the majestic pursuit of trout. So, by God, I believe it to be majestic too. <laughs> So that's what uh, the Brookie game's all about. I hope some of you who's listening are from Minnesota, and I hope some of you are going to go out and hammer them tomorrow. I think the water's still a little cold and a little low.
to really trigger um, all the fish. Hey, let them know, hey, y'all, it's spring. F put the feed bag on, you know. Um, but when you when you find brookies, when you find a brookie stream or when you uh, hit the timing right and everything's just right, it is so satisfying to just it's it's like small game hunting. It really is. You're you're, you're searching for subtle structure and conditions and a lot of it. There's a lot that goes into it and it's none of it is reeling in the fish. I mean, you could do it with a stick. I've done it with a stick and a string, you know, um, in, where I live. And there's places where rookies live in huge water, Nipigon, Labrador. I realize that. But uh, fishing for brook trout around here is is something I've enjoyed for a long time. And I really look forward to doing it. Um, you know, I'll do it. At, I'll do it at some point tomorrow. How serious I'll get into it opening day, opening Saturday, when I have a pretty wide open schedule ahead of me due to the fact that uh, I'm still technically seasonally laid off from my seasonal construction job for a few more weeks here and I'm not going to have to really like um, pick and choose too much. I'll get a couple of good days of fishing in during the week, which is uh, I'm very lucky to have that. Uh, however, the COVID thing definitely has, has uh, put, I think it'll put a, a, a screeching or I think it'll put a I think it'll put a drag, like a slowdown on the stuff like brookie fishing um, and small game hunting. Well, maybe not small game hunting because those guys have dogs and you got to run those dogs. And that's a reminder of why why you should go small game hunting. It's your dogs at your house. But um, I think brookie fishing and maybe like, uh, you know, kind of kind of well steelhead fishing in the Brule river in wisconsin uh, the president's river which is like a, a world-renowned fishery that draws fishermen from all, all over the midwest to try their hand at catching these beautiful steelhead um but it's tight quarters down there you know it's it's you're walking by each other you're seeing people every single time you go like you will see people when you fish the Brule in the past every single time and it's not one of the places you go to like out west i've heard where there can be a little bit of animosity towards people fishing it's the rule of the rule is you're friendly and everyone's welcome to fish seniority matters there's a standard of etiquette that if you're not aware of somebody will quite politely i'm sure tell you how things are going but overall it's kind of a, a very friendly vibe at the rule but this year they're saying hey don't come down, Minnesota. I live on the Minnesota-Wisconsin border. Um, it takes me less time to get to Wisconsin than it does, you know, it takes me less time to get to the um, Walmart in Wisconsin than it does in Minnesota. And I live in Minnesota. Put things in perspective. But they said, hey, we, we're trying to lock down the traveling. Um, it's not necessary for, you know, locals only fishing. And they didn't pass a law or anything in a couple of, Fellas I know rolled down there together in the same vehicle opening day and they didn't get kicked out and they didn't get ticketed, but the game warden was there and he said, um, you recommend 